Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. They deserve to chant MVP. I mean, it won't be this year, but it won't be long. I mean, this kid, if he stays on the you can just see it. The Sixers have an extremely bright future. Not only a ton of great draft picks going forward, tax space, flexibility, great young talent on the roster. I'm not the city appreciates effort, the city demands effort, and the work that people are putting in will be rewarded. That's all I can do is, is, is hope my voice means something to guys that's younger than me and guys that us guys paved the way for. Welcome to the 76ers Report with your hosts, Jeff McMiniman and Michael Caskey-Blomain. We're back with another edition of the 76ers Report. As always, I'm your host, Jeff McMiniman, and I'm joined by Sixers Insider for 97.3 ESPN, Michael Caskey-Blomain. Uh, you can find the show on the app Stitcher and iTunes, um, so, you know, go out and, uh, you know, add them on there. And make sure to follow the show on Twitter at 76ers Report. Um, and, I mean, what a month it's been for the Sixers uh, in the month of January. Uh, winners of 10 of the last 14 games. Uh, the Sixers have really become, you know, one of the league's hottest teams to watch. And, you know, fans in the Philadelphia area and across the country really have been tuning in in great numbers to see them play. Uh, Mike, how enjoyable has this month been for you? And, you know, in your opinion, do you see this hot streak kind of continuing here? Hello? Mike, are you there? Hey, sorry, man. I was having a couple of oh. connection issues right there. But, uh, yeah, I'm on now. And to answer your question, um, yeah, I mean, I think for everyone that's been following the uh, the team closely for the past, you know, several years, I think it's really just, a, you know, a reward for the patients to, you know, finally have a product on the floor that's, you know, not only competitive, but that's super exciting. And like you said, they, they really become, since the turn of the calendar year, uh, the Sixers have really been, you know, one of the hottest stories in the league. I mean, it, you can't really go, uh, you know, a night without turning on, you know, SportsCenter or, or NBA TV game time and have them talking about, you know, the Sixers, especially Joel. Um, so, you know, it, it's just been such a such a nice change of, of kind of pace compared to the past several seasons where, you know, would, which was basically a buildup to what we're starting to just experience the tip of now. So, I mean, it's great for fans. I think it's great, obviously, for the, you know, us media members that have been following the team to have, uh, you know, a, a more exciting and competitive product on the floor. And uh, I do think that, that it's going to continue. I think even a, a game like last night that I, I know you were at, 
Um, I think even a game like that, that's a game that last year, especially once they got down by double figures, they would have, you know, that, that game would have been a blowout. I feel like in the second half, second half. And the fact that they were, uh, you know, just able to, you know, hang in and claw back a couple different times. It looked like the Rockets might pull away and the Sixers just hung in there. Uh, you know, it was obviously led by Embiid, but it was a, you know, a team effort from, from a whole lot of guys that contributed last night. And that's how it's been basically since uh, the year turned. And, you know, that's just, it seems like they're starting to kind of click and grow together. And that's the formula for success. You know, the Rockets are, you know, one of the best teams in the in the NBA in general this year. And they play a style of ball that's somewhat similar to what Brett and the Sixers were are gunning to do. So it's a tough matchup. And I think, uh, you know, I think the fact that the Sixers held their own against, you know, one of the league's best uh, and despite and a monster, uh, you know, output from Harden to a 50 point triple double. <laughs> and the fact that, you know, they were right there until the very end, I think, is a great sign for, you know, the fact that this success can continue for the rest of this season and beyond. Yeah, I, I mean, the Sixers are currently four and a half games out of the eighth seed right now in the East. Um, they play the eighth seed uh, Bulls tomorrow on the road. Uh, did you ever, in what your wildest dreams, you know, imagine that the Sixers would be in playoff contention this year? And, you know, how realistic, I guess, at this point, are their chances now to make it? You know, coming into the season, I definitely didn't. It was obviously a question that was asked of me, and there was a topic of conversation if this was a year that the Sixers could make the, you know, make a playoff run. And I think I'd be lying if, if I said that, or a lot of people said that they would. I think this was a year that we definitely expected to see progress, uh, you know, in terms of win-loss record from the past couple seasons. And to me, heading into the season, and I think still, you know, the main goal of this year, well, playoffs would be nice. But I think, you know, the main goal heading in was to kind of, you know, identify and develop guys, you know, to be the, the future foundation of the team. And obviously, you know, we, we found that in Joel. There's no more questions. The only question now is, you know, hopefully that he can stay healthy for the next decade. I mean, there's no more questions about how, you know, impactful he could be or what he'll actually be. Um, you know, then we have the questions with Ben still hanging in the mix. Uh, you know, if, his, if he's able to come back soon by, uh, you know, uh, there's no exact projection date, but if he comes back within the next three weeks or so, uh, you know, there's I think there's a very realistic chance, uh, believe it or not, obviously, that they could uh, – you know, make a push for the eighth seed, whether, you know, that's in the best term interest of the team going forward is a different question. But I mean, with the way that the East is, uh, obviously the Bulls are imploding, the Knicks are imploding. Uh, the Bucks are a team that I think is right in the, in the nine or the 10th seed now, and the Sixers have beaten them twice at home in the past two weeks, um, once without Embiid. So I think that, you know, a lot of the teams that are, uh, you know, kind of fighting for those last, you know, five, six playoff spots in the East, uh, you know, if the Sixers continue to win like this, which I, you know, it all signs point that they could continue the success and they'll definitely put themselves right in the mix for that, you know, eight, maybe even seven spot in the playoffs, which is, you know, something that I don't think necessarily either of us expected coming into the season. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I I definitely did not expect it. Obviously, it's been a, a very pleasant surprise. Um, but, you know, at the same time, you know, everything's kind of not, perfect in process land because of that, you know, uh, while all this winning is, is great for the fans and kind of shows how dangerous this team will be down the road, you know, it's not great when we're talking about, you know, the upcoming 2017 NBA draft, uh, you know, as we all know, very hard, sorry, guard heavy drafts uh, with players like Markel Fultz, Dennis Smith Jr., Malik Monk, who would all kind of fit in perfectly 
in the starting lineup for the Sixers. And, um, you know, the Sixers are currently projected at the eighth pick in that draft, which, you know, you probably would end up missing on those three talents, uh, you know, if, if you did get stuck with that eighth seed. Uh, obviously, you uh, you know had the pick swap with the Kings. The Lakers pick could also come over. But, you know, Mike, let's just say – for argument's sake, the Sixers do stay around, you know, 8 to 10 in the, you know, upcoming draft, and the Lakers pick does not come convey. Uh, you know, how big of a blow would that be to the process overall, um, you know, not getting one of those top guards in this draft? Yeah, and that's kind of the, the only catch-22 with the, you know, the current winning streak, which is, you know, obviously a great sign moving forward, especially – uh, you know, I said this uh, on the radio the other day. The one thing that's a little different about the victories this year, and if they did end up in a spot like you mentioned, like the eight or even like the nine seed, the only difference would be at least that, that progress was was based off of the guys that are going to be like the future foundation of the franchise. You know, if if the Sixers did make it somehow get into the playoffs this year and say they get that eight seed and lose to the Cavs in the first round, uh, the only, you know, missing out on, on the draft pick would definitely be a blow. But at least in this situation, we could say, like, all right, well, we got here because Joel and Dario and Nerlens got us here. Uh, you know, and that's something for them to build upon, especially in Joel's rookie year to, you know, to take a team that was one of the worst in NBA history just one year ago and turn it around to the point that they're in the playoffs, even if they do lose in the first round to, you know, one of the greatest players ever in LeBron. Um, I think that, you know, just having that to kind of build on would be a good sign. But with that said, I mean, ideally, I, th- I think, you know, the best thing for the team would obviously be to get hit on one more lottery pick, especially like you said, in this draft coming up, that's, uh, you know, pretty guard heavy, especially compared to the past, co- you know, a couple drafts that the higher prospects were a lot of big guys. Uh, and obviously guard guard play is a position that this team desperately needs, you know, you know to complement the other young guys that they have on the roster. So, I mean, best really, I think, you know, I don't think anyone is saying the Sixers are going to win the championship this year. That's that's kind of out of the question. So the best case scenario would probably be for the, like, for long-term future would be to land in the lottery high one more time and get that, uh, you know, get get another high-level suit potential, like all-star caliber guard, uh, like Fultz or, or Ball or, you know, one of those guys that's going to be up there in the draft. But, um, you know, it, it's tough because either way, you don't want to, at this point, cheer against the team winning. But each win, you can't help but kind of check in on the standings and see, like, all right, well, we're pulling a little bit away from the bottom of the lottery. But also, you know, like you mentioned, you got to hope, uh, you know, Hinky left us with quite a few parting gifts when he, you know, when he uh, left the team last spring. And two of those are in play in the draft, that being obviously the pick swap with the Kings and the, uh, the Lakers pick. So that's a you know a little bit of extra cushioning I think for these victories at least we have that in the you know in the back pocket hopefully some of that kind of kicks in and works in our favor this year. Yeah, and I mean it, I guess it wouldn't be the end all be all, but um, you know would this immediately I guess put the Sixers focus you know more on the upcoming free agent class and instead in order to you know maybe sign a player like like Kyle, Kyle Lowry who could definitely you know do a lot of damage in the Sixers lineup. That's possible too, and uh, you know I, I can't help but to think at this point when you're watching the Sixers come up and you know they're on a national TV game on ESPN last night on a Friday night, and you got 
you know, you got Allen Iverson in the house. They got Kevin Hart courtside, you know, Meek Mill, all these guys. And the way that the Sixers are just playing and they seem to be, a, you know, a team that really enjoys themselves and the fans are, have been showing out like crazy. I mean, obviously, like, you know, you were there last night. I've been to the past several. It just has a different feel of, of, than it has in, you know, since, honestly, since Iverson's days. Uh, and that, like, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of showing to free agents and then to think, you know, for some of these guys that are looking for teams that aren't necessarily about to sign with the, you know, the Cavs or the Warriors, think like, wow, this team has, you know, a lot going for it. Uh, and a guy like Joel, another guy in the wings like Ben Simmons, a good defense behind, a, you know, and I think they would definitely be enticing to some potential free agents, especially for a guy, you know, you mentioned Kyle Lowry for, you know, for discussion's sake, a guy like that that would fit a need that the Sixers, you know, desperately need and he could see himself and be like, wow, I could come in and get legit minutes here alongside these young guys and this team that's on the upswing. And they also have the money to offer me why, you know, maybe I'll really take a look at that. And I think that's a, that was also part of Sam's plan. And I think like a lot of the other parts, it's kind of, maybe even coming together at this point quicker than expected. And I think, you know, that we might see that this, you know, this off season, obviously depending on what happens with some of the current guys on the roster, be it trades or, or free agency, um, we'll have the money to spend. And I think, you know, interest will be there mutually, whether or not, you know, the right deal is there is a different story, but I think, you know, Brian Colangelo and the, the front office will be looking. And I think some players will probably be interested in taking a look back at, at Philly too. Once again, this is the 76ers Report. I'm your host, Seth McMenamin, alongside Michael Kasky blomain um, Yeah, and I, I mean, that's definitely something that they'll be aiming towards is free agency. I mean, regardless of where they land in the draft, um, you know, there there are some free agents out there that would fit in nicely in this lineup, uh, especially, you know, on, on the wing. We, we definitely need an upgrade at the guard spots and that will be, you know, for sure the main focus in the off season. Um, but I mean, before I guess we get into to that more, uh, let's just talk about Joel Embiid. I mean, we've pretty much raved about the possible talent he could become in this league since draft day. Um, now I think we can both agree that we're witnessing play possibly, you know, the best center of all time down the road. Um, you know, 20 points, eight rebounds, and nearly three blocks in only 25 minutes per game. Um, you know, for all the suffering we had to go through with Andrew Bynum, how gratifying is it to finally, you know, have a force in the paint like Embiid? It's it's honestly, uh, you know, obviously unbelievably gratifying on, on a few levels. I mean, first, for just for Joel, it has to be, you know, after having to sit out for two years and to listen to, you know, all the speculation and doubt and skepticism regarding, you know, his work ethic, how good he was, you know, if he'd ever play. And then on the same tote for like fans to have to listen to that for us to, you know, support Joel and be like, you know, it's basically been telling everyone for two years, just wait till Joel comes and wait till you see. So on that aspect too, it's extremely gratifying. I mean, obviously, you know, you're, you've seen on Twitter, a lot of the national media now is starting to take notice of same, you know, some of these same media outlets that, uh, you know, spent the better part of the past three years, you know, just bashing the process in general and, and the, you know, the whole approach rather than kind of just waiting, giving it, you know, an equal shake and giving it weight. So, it's, you know, for people like you and I, who I think have done a pretty, you know, a fair job of covering the process, we haven't, you know, blindly supported every single decision that's been made, but by and large, since the day that, Sam took over, uh, you know, we've been in support of the, you know, the entire undertaking in general. 
So I think that to finally have a, you know, the fruits of that paying off, it's just, you know, extremely gratifying. And, you know, we all, like you said, I think we all knew Joel would be good. I personally, only speaking for myself, would be lying if I said that I knew he would be this good, this fast. I did not, you know, to to the point that he's in, like that you said, he's already in the conversation of the best center in the NBA right now. Uh, and he's still not playing back-to-back, still playing only, you know, 28 a game. It's it's unbelievable that, you know, how many ways he can impact the floor. He, it, and for his age, the fact that there just doesn't seem to be a, a major flaw in his game. I mean, obviously, this is his first year in the NBA. There's things he needs to work on, things he can improve upon. But there's nothing that, like, sticks out and you're like, wow, like, this is what, like, there's nothing. He's just one of the most complete rookies. I've ever seen like more so even than LeBron when he was a rookie, uh, you know, going back to Oh three. And like we said, this is a dude that hasn't played in two years is, you know, still limited by, you know, crazy uh, restrictions that, you know, for some players, I think that would be difficult to even be able to get into a rhythm and, you know, four minute spurts and then having to sit on the bench and Joel scores at such a, uh, you know, a crazy pace. It's, you know, he, at the beginning of the fourth last night, uh, he had eight points in, uh, less than a minute, I think, two threes and, and two foul shots in, you know, 48 seconds or something like that. He just scores at such a rapid pace and is the same sort of impactful on the defensive end. Uh, you know, I, I could go, I could honestly go on and on. I, I'm sure you could do it just, at this point. Basically just, you know, I, I sent a tweet out about it the other day, mainly just keeping, you know, keeping my fingers crossed that he's able to stay healthy for the next decade because, you know, absolutely, he is something that, you know, the league has honestly never really seen before and could be, you know, something super special for the Sixers. Yeah, I mean, if the NBA voting system didn't change the season for the All-Star game, you know, Joel Embiid would be an All-Star. Yeah, let's start with this, but do you think that the NBA will now, you know, rethink this new voting system after, you know, what happened with the the player vote and – you know, all of that being part of the equation. Yeah, I think they have to take a serious look at it, especially because it seems like the players didn't necessarily take it very serious. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure you heard Steve Kerr call, like called some of the players out for not taking it serious. I think there was like some crazy number of players that didn't even have LeBron on the ballot. And, you know, it just seems <laughs> like that they didn't really, you know, take it as obviously as serious as some of the fans do, especially when you consider the fact like, in the moment, it doesn't seem like an all-star bid is, you know, all that important. But when you're looking back on guys' careers and talking about, you know, distinguishing one from another, all-star appearances, I mean, whether or not they should be, they are used as a, you know, a meter for discussion. So, it, you know, it's something that does have impact on on a legacy. And I don't necessarily think that, you know, if players aren't going to take it seriously, I don't think that it, it should be left up to them. And then a second part of that with the, you know, the center uh, position, it, that's another thing that the league might have to consider when they – you know, when they switched from the, the traditional, like, center spot there to just front court players in general a few years ago, there was kind of a downtick in the actual production from the center spot. And that turned around quickly. I mean, you look around the league now, the Sixers are far from the only team that has, you know, a dominant center uh, in there. You know, obviously there was others uh, throughout the league. So I think at this point when there's, you know, viable candidates that are probably, you know, getting left off of the ballot because of, you know, position uh discrepancy it's definitely something that the league should have to look at and uh you know I'm not, I'm not one of the people that's necessarily bashing Paul Millsap specifically like all over Twitter like whatever you know like his he got selected over Joel but the league would certainly benefit from having Joel in the all-star game this year I mean personality wise story wise 
just on the court, he would have been, a, a, you know, he's basically, I've, I've seen other people say this, he's really what an all-star is. Like, you think about Shaq and then, you know, back in the, in the 90s and 2000s, you know, he was dominant on the court and he had the personality to match. He was literally like the, you know, the definition of an NBA all-star. And Joel has, you know, shades of that. He's very similar as a personality and the game to match. And he would just seem like, I mean, he'll be there for obviously down there for the uh, rising stars challenge, but just to have him on the bigger stage, I think same for obviously him and the Sixers in the league. Uh, so I think they kind of missed an opportunity with that, but uh, you know, like, you know, hopefully he's able to, uh, be in the all-star game for you know a bunch of times for the the next decade or so right and like you said you know it, it does kind of add something to that player's legacy when they are voted into the all-star game you know down the road when they retire you look back at someone's career and you know you see how many all-star games they've they've been in um and i mean the the last rookie to be voted into an all-star game uh, as a starter was Yao Ming. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's been a long time. Um, there's only very few rookies who have ever, you know, done that, um, been in the All-Star game their rookie year. And, you know, that would have been awesome for, for Joel to to kind of have that on his legacy. Um, and, I, I mean, a lot of people are kind of attributing even the Paul Millsap over Joel Embiid reserve selection as a way for coaches to kind of show their disapproval to the process and, you know, everything that's transpired within the Sixers organization for the past three years. Um, I mean, do you think this was the main reason for him being snubbed by the coaches here, or do you attribute it more to the minutes restriction, you know, that was placed on Embiid this season? That's a great question that I honestly hadn't thought too much about, uh, but I think now that you mention it, I think that not that it, it might have been like a definitely an underlying factor in, in some of the decisions, even if like they didn't necessarily meet like that wasn't their intention. But I think, like you said, certainly a lot of the coaches have disapproved of you know the quote unquote process over the past few years, and to kind of reward the you know the f- fruit of that process right away in the first season might have been you know tough for some of the coaches to swallow as opposed to putting a guy like Paul Millsap on the ballot who's, you know, basically really respected across the league, been there for several years, a veteran of the league. It would be easier, I think, for some coaches to to do that. And then the minute restriction, I think, would be more of a crutch for them to point at. You know, that's an easy falling point. Like, oh, well, Millsap played way more minutes and more games for this team. But, I mean, when you look at the numbers, uh, I'm sure you have. I, I have a lot of – there's no comparison. I mean, in a lim- in less time, Embiid is just extreme, way more, you know, productive and impactful on the court. Um, but, you know, like you said, also, a rookie hasn't been selected since Yao Ming. And that was obviously he he had entire, you know, enormous country behind him voting. So the fact that Joel won the popular vote, you know, if they hadn't switched that, he, he would have been in the starting lineup. That fact alone, I think, is a huge testament to just how popular he is already as a rookie. Uh, you know, and coaches don't, you know, LeBron wasn't even in the game as a rookie. I think it, it's just, a, you know, a it doesn't happen often and he deserved it, but I don't think it's something that's necessarily going to, you know, should be a huge like thing that people kind of stick on. He's going to be there next year and the year after Um, if there was no minutes restriction, you know, they would, there would be nothing for the media members that didn't vote for him to point to. So I think ultimately that's the main thing that held him back. If he wasn't, you know, restricted, especially early on, I think a lot of those games, he was only able to play like eight, 12 minutes, uh, 
I think that ended up definitely kind of hurting them in the end. But, uh, you know, once once those num- those minute restrictions are hopefully lifted next season, um, <laughs> the minute the numbers are going to be bonkers and the, the all-star selections will come. Yeah, I mean, the only thing we have to go by um, right now is kind of the, the per 36 numbers. Uh, you know, Shaq and other analysts have said that, you know, those ridiculous per 36 numbers shouldn't hold much weight because, you know, they don't think Embiid will have as big of an impact later in games if, you know, he's forced to play more minutes. Um, are you buying this, or do you think, you know, Embiid could even, you know, surpass the 28.11 rebound uh, four-block kind of projection that he currently holds? I think he could surpass it, man. Like, I was kind of getting that before. This is still his rookie year, uh, and he's still coming off two years of not playing. And, you know, he's also only been playing the game in general for seven years. Uh, you know, a lot of parallels to Hakeem, obviously, as far as picking up the game late and getting on an upward trajectory later. I Honestly, not that he hasn't scratched the surface of his potential, at, you know, that, that overused saying or whatever, but I think he can get way better, uh, you know, health willing if, he, if he's able to just continue to practice, you know, throughout the offseason, work out, and then not to mention an improvement of the cast around him. I mean, he's he's dominating at this level, and not that you know the, the team around him is a vast improvement from what the Sixers have been working with for the past few years. I mean, everyone on this team is a legit NBA player. Finally, um, you know, and and that certainly helps. But it's not as good, you know. The supporting cast is going to get better, even just when Ben Simmons comes, and then let alone a couple more high-end draft picks, a couple free agents. I mean, he he has potential to literally put up some of the most crazy numbers I think we've ever seen. So, I mean, I think he definitely has a chance to surpass those per 36 numbers, especially in rebounding. I think he, I think those are uh, his rebounding numbers. I think can even go up from what they're at now. Uh, and, you know, basically every num- number, I think he's already gotten way better at, at passing. I think that's something that has been kind of like evident. If you, you know, watching throughout the course of the season from the first game to like last night, as far as just passing either out of the post from the perimeter uh, to a guy like cutting, like he, his IQ and everything just seems to be growing rapidly. So I, I think everything, I honestly, like sky's the limit for him production-wise. I wouldn't really put a cap on what he's able to do, and I think he could definitely surpass those numbers, which are already, you know, pretty gaudy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was a really tough loss last night uh, for the Sixers against the Rockets. Um, you know, you kind of talked about it a little earlier but uh, the 123 points tied for the most points uh, the Sixers have given up in a game this season. Uh, you know, James Harden, the projected MVP, had 51 points, 13 rebounds, 13 assists in the game. Uh, you know, do you kind of attribute this to bad defense by the Sixers in this game, or do you think that Harden just had one of those, you know, unstoppable nights where, you know, nothing really worked defensively, even though, uh, you know, they – prepared for him no I I wouldn't attribute it to bad defense I don't think it was necessarily as great of a defensive effort as you know they might have been putting out a couple other games but you know watching that closely that that game James Harden was just you know it's one of those games like you said that's the projected MVP and it was just an MVP for performance you know he was it was just one of those nights where he was just doing every and the Rockets in general I mean they're one of the I don't know if they're the highest scoring offense, but, you know, within the top three in the NBA, they're, you know, they give everyone fits. And when Harden, I mean, there was multiple times where we would switch on Harden and, you know, Sarich would literally be in his face and Harden was hitting shots 
I mean, their pick and roll was, you know, virtually unstoppable last night between, you know, Nene or if they were running it with Ryan Anderson and he was kicking out. It, it, everything they had was just clicking last night. And that's, uh, you know, one of the best offensive coaches in NBA history with potentially the MVP of the season just clicking. And, uh, you know, I don't know that – not to say that the Sixers' defense couldn't have been better – but that's not necessarily a performance where I'd, you know, get too hung up or upset on the defense. I think that, you know, most of the principals were there. I think they were late. They definitely struggled on some of the switches off of pick and rolls. I think they were a little bit late in some of those situations. And that's, you know, certainly something that they could address. And, and I'm sure Brett obviously will, you know, work on that. But in general, I thought it was more an example of just a, a you know, dominant player putting on a dominant performance than, you know, anything specifically bad that the Sixers did. Yeah, and uh, you also mentioned how Ben Simmons is, uh, you know, nearing a return seemingly at this point. Um, you know, projections kind of say that that late February um, time that that he'll return. I think there's a home game against Washington, um, a home game against Golden State uh, around that time. I mean, if they had Ben Simmons in the game last night to you know, really defend the the perimeter there against Harden. Um, do you think, you know, having him in the lineup later on will just, you know, just really increase the defensive capability of this team as a whole? Yeah, absolutely. Just by default for the fact that it would make the team deeper to begin with. So, I mean, that's assuming that I don't know, obviously, without something they'll have to figure out once, you know, once that Simmons comes back in, what the rotation is going to be but someone's going to bump to the bench that's been, uh, you know, a solid defender all season. And just based off that alone, I think that will help the defensive rotations and the defensive in general. But uh, Simmons, uh, you know, as a defensive prospect, just, you know, not necessarily even what we were able to see at summer league, because you can only, you know, really take so much away from summer league defense, but just what the potential he has as a defender with his length and, and foot speed for his size, uh, you know, guarding opponents on the perimeter, it's definitely something that the Sixers could use, especially with rim protectors like Embiid and Noel down there. I mean, they Embiid and Simmons have the potential to develop into, you know, not only a dominant offensive combination, but a dominant defensive one. Uh, you know, if Simmons is able to really be dedicated on that end and use the, you know, his size and athleticism to bother, uh, you know, opposing perimeter players, and then, you know, you have other solid wing defenders, you know, in a Robert Covington, and then obviously guys down low, whether it be Noel or Rashawn or Joel or, or whoever that's down there. Um, you know, the Sixers already have one of the league's best defenses, the, the best, I think, since, the you know, the new year started statistically. And adding, you know, a potential, another very solid defender in Simmons is only going to, you know, help help in general, I think. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, Ben Simmons just has all the tools you want in, you know, that that two-way player. Um, you know, he has the size, he has the athleticism. Um, you know, the the potential is there for him to to really guard the the perimeter well. And outside of Robert Covington, I mean, the Sixers don't really have, you know, anyone that that can really play uh, defense on the wing. I mean, you look at T.J. McConnell, like you know, he's way too undersized to, you know, keep opponents um, kind of off around the perimeter. Um, they usually can really, like, take advantage of his size and, and drive past him or, you know, kind of pass over the top of him um, because of his size. So, you know, 
plugging in a guy like Ben Simmons there, that will just immediately make our you know, defense much better. Uh, and, I mean, it's already, like you said, uh, among one of the tops in the league. Uh, so, you know, you, you think about that and, um, you know, his return to the lineup, it, it's just very exciting. Um, you know, everyone has kind of been waiting the same way they're waiting with Embiid, um, you know, checking in on Ben at practice, um, you know, checking his Instagram, checking his Twitter, seeing what he's up to. And, uh, you know, it, it'll be very gratifying to see him take the court. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I mean, along those same lines, obviously February, there's another very important thing coming up with the, the trade deadline. Um, and we, we've kind of talked in length about our thoughts on this between, you know, Okafor and Noel and Ersan, um, how they're all kind of trade ships uh, with the upcoming deadline. Um, I mean, with the recent performance of Noel that you got to see, I mean, he had 19 against the Clippers, uh, 16 against Milwaukee. Uh, he had kind of a dud last night, just five points, um, four rebounds, two blocks. Uh, I mean, are you willing, I guess, to, you know, not try to trade Noel and to sign him to a deal this summer, uh, I mean, it would probably be in the 18 to 20 million a year range. Are you willing to, you know, pay that much for a player like Noel, or do you think, you know, this is probably the best time to, you know, make him available in a trade? That is literally like the the biggest question I think regarding the Sixers' future right now. I think people, I mean, people at this point, I think the the debate is, has settled largely. The question isn't at this point anymore. It's not between Noel or Okafor. It, the Sixers are clearly a better team with Maryland's Noel on the floor as the backup. I mean, it's just they can play the style that they that they want to play, and that's you know I've been very neutral to I'm not. It isn't even like a knock on Jalil. I think he can be a, a solid NBA player somewhere else. It's just not not in Philly with the style that the team has established. Uh, you know, it's clear that Netherlands is, is the better fit. So now the question is exactly what you just said. It comes down to this: Do the Sixers want to pay? probably will be close to $20 million a year for what, as long as Joel Embiid is in this lineup, is basically a backup center. Uh, you know, Nerlens and, and Joel, you know, they could play for stretch, short stretches together, but by and large, I think Joel's best success is going to come with a basically a stretch four like Irsan, not that the, he's going to be the long-term guy, but uh, you can see when the, the floor is spread like that, how dangerous Joel is, and especially when Ben is back. The ability to have the paint, the spread, the floor spread, and the paint clear will be huge. Uh, so you know, Nerlens and Joel, I don't, they're not destined to play. Like, the, he's not going to be a four to Joel's five in the starting lineup, I don't think. So basically, it comes down to if the Sixers want to pay twenty million for a backup in Nerlens Noel, and based off what we've seen, how he's able to play with that unit, the answer to that question to me is yes. I mean, we have the money. He's been here. He knows. You know it it would fit then the question that it becomes is does he want to do that you know i think it, before the trade deadline i think the team really needs brian colangelo i don't know if this if it will happen i think he needs to sit down with nerlens and try to honestly gauge what he feels like because i mean nerlens is not going to be the starting center in philly if his desire is to be a starting center for an nba team and play 35 minutes a night he's pretty you know he's going to want to sign elsewhere this summer and at that point then brian might have to trade him 
if he's more willing to maybe play 28 to 30 a night and potentially be a, a huge piece of a championship building team in Philly, then you sign him. Uh, you know, that's, it's a huge dilemma. And I, it's, there's no like easy answer at this point, I don't think, but I think, uh, you know, that's definitely the team is, is great with him as the backup to New Orleans and when, uh, or to Joel and when Joel can't play, New Orleans fills in at that center spot. Uh, you know, those two games, Clippers and then in the in Milwaukee against the Bucks with uh, New Orleans and Rashawn, I thought that was you know a huge sign from New Orleans. Um, not that he was intentionally like sending a sign, but to show that you know he he could still be like a, the starting center of a team. Um, so you know it's a huge financial investment if he does stay around, and I'm just worried that you know I don't think he's always shown the best behavior. Obviously, in the past six or eight months regarding this thing, I think. Uh, you know where where Jalil has taken this, uh, you know demotion, pretty much like like a pro uh, worked hard, not said anything. Nerlens kind of went the opposite route at the beginning of the year. Uh, you know, not that he's that type of guy in general, but I just think that if you're going to make a, a financial decision like paying that much for Nerlens, I think you got to know where his head is and make sure that you know he's all right with the situation. And if that's the case, then yeah, I think you you got to sign him. And it seems like you know Jalil. Maybe a, a likely destination uh, just arrived because of the injury to Ennis Cantor. Uh, it, it seems like it would be a pretty, you know, heavy move for the Thunder to make a move for Jaleel uh, at this point. I mean, he would fit that role perfectly with the Thunder, you know, being that, that scoring big in the lineup. Um, I mean, do you think uh, the the Sixers would do a trade for maybe like a Cameron Payne or Alex O'Brien's um, with maybe like a, a draft pick attached for, uh, you know, Jalil Lukafor? I honestly don't know uh, for that particular trade. Obviously, I was wondering the same thing. I saw people speculating if, if uh, you know, Jalil to OKC is a possibility now. They don't have much to offer, but honestly, I don't know. You know, I'm in the midst of, of trying to write a, of writing an article right now, basically saying that you know the, the they do need to move Okafor for both of them. I don't think it's necessarily, you know, the Sixers are better without him, and it's not necessarily fair for him to just be sitting. I think he would obviously benefit from a, uh, you know, a change of scenery. So I do think that that they'll have to. I think that they should at least do take what they can for him. I don't know exactly what the market is. At this point, I, you know, I can't imagine it's exceptionally high with, uh, you know, a lot of the reports that have just come out of Philly in general about his play and uh, the fact that he's, you know, he hasn't been playing for the, for the better part of this year and the Sixers have just been rolling. It doesn't necessarily bode well for his trade value. But obviously with that being said, he's also, you know, one season removed from being the number three pick in the draft. He was first team all rookie. He was, you know, obviously just named to the Rising Stars Challenge again. He's still only 20 or maybe uh, maybe 21, but at, at tops, you know, he's still super young. Um, so, I mean, I think there's definitely teams out there that are not nearly as down on Jaleel Okafor as a lot of the Sixers fan base is. I mean, it's a dude that has, you know, definite deficiencies in his game, but also has very clear, you know, positive attributes that could, you know, work in the right situation. And he's also young and is, by all indications has shown that he's open to learning. You know, Brett has had nothing, has kind of gone out of his way at, at several of these post-game press conferences to really compliment, uh, you know, Ja in general, how he's been working hard, even though he hasn't been playing, how he's, you know, been trying to learn as much. And, and you know, I think his, that he has a good attitude in general. So I do think there'll be teams out there looking. And I think it really is in the best interest 
and, and Nerlens and Ja can be two separate moves at this point. Like I, I think that Ja clearly is not in the Sixers' long-term plans, so I don't think that moving one or the other hinges. I think they could both potentially be moved or both not be moved. Uh, you know, but I do think that at this point they need to consider, you know, whatever they can get for Jalil to, you know, they don't, they're not using him. So might as well get at least whatever they can. And also for, you know, for a guy that's just sitting on the bench, why, why not give him a, you know, a shot somewhere else? I've been trying to, uh, you know, I've been re- trying to reach out and gauge any potential, you know, trade value or interest for, you know, both of the guys. The only thing I've got, obviously, is that I think Nerlens has helped his stock a little bit over the past month. Uh, you know, since he's got his minutes boost a little bit, I think he's definitely shown that he could be uh, a very impactful defensive player, uh, either off the bench or even as a, you know, fill-in starter for some of these teams that might be looking to make that second-half playoff push. So I definitely expect, you know, the trade deadline to be, uh, you know, the Sixers to be involved in a whole lot of conversations. Uh, It would just be really interesting to see, you know, after almost it seems like years of speculation at this point, what Mm -hmm. exactly, if anything, will end up getting back for, for, you know, either one or both of those guys. All right. Well, that's all the time we've got uh, for today's show. Um, Make sure to, you know, follow us on the you know, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at 76ers Report. Um, and, yeah, we'll we'll catch you next time. It, it's definitely an awesome time to, to be a Sixers fan. Um, so, you know, <laughs> keep tuning into the games, keep tuning into our show, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Peace. They deserve a chance MVP. I mean, it won't be this year, but it won't be long. I mean, this kid, if he stays long, you can just see it. Have an extremely bright future. Not only a ton of great draft picks going forward, cap space, flexibility, great young talent on the roster. I'm not questioning The city appreciates effort. The city demands effort. And the work that people are putting in will be rewarded. That's all I can do is, is, is hope my voice means something to guys that's younger than me and guys that us guys paved the way for. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.